Hey folks, another busy week of politically charged legal news making the headlines. Last week, New York Attorney General Letitia James announced that her office is joining the Manhattan District Attorney's criminal investigation into the Trump Organization. Meanwhile, Congress is debating whether to launch a 9-11-style commission to investigate the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. And the Supreme Court will review a major abortion case that will give the court's conservative bloc an opportunity to overturn long-standing precedents set in Roe v. Wade and subsequent cases. Joyce Vance and I discuss all this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we are sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. And for a limited time, Use the code JOYCE for 50% off the annual membership price. We look forward to having you as part of the Insider community. How are you, Joyce? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I think things are, you know, gradually getting better. We have exciting news. I know that you know about it. I know. It is exciting. I don't know that all the listeners know about it, but we have a new podcast from Cafe and the Vox Media Podcast Network that's been in the works for some time, a new history podcast starring eminent award-winning historians Heather Cox Richardson and Joanne Freeman. It begins June 1st, a week from today. It's called Now and Then, and you can find it and subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. And in anticipation of the podcast, we have a live event that I've mentioned before. It'll be streamed on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, starring... Professors Richardson and Freeman. To RSVP, go to cafe.com slash live, and they'll talk about their own roles as historians and share inspiring stories of women journalists and activists and historians from past pivotal moments who have helped to do what's very important, Joyce, write the ship of state toward a more perfect union. Send any questions you have for Heather and Joanne to letters at cafe.com. You're going to tune in, right? I am. I'm so excited and so looking forward to this. Two of my favorite people in one podcast. It's it's perfect. So the news in the past week, since we last met and spoke on this podcast, you know, somewhat breathlessly reported, and we can talk about how breathless one should be, is that the New York State Attorney General, Tish James, Letitia James, who everyone has known has been engaged in a civil investigation of the Trump Organization and various things relating to the president and people around him, essentially announced that that investigation was being uh, transformed into a criminal investigation. And I think that was confusing to some people in the opening hours of the announcement. What appears to be the case is she and her office are not necessarily doing some fully independent, separate investigation from what the DA, Cy Vance, is doing, but they are joining forces. And they're doing a thing that was not uncommon when I was a U.S. attorney, between law enforcement offices, prosecutors' offices, they've cross-designated, as I understand it, two lawyers, or at least two lawyers, in the AG's office to be special assistant district attorneys in the Manhattan DA's office. So the DA has some evidence that's been uncovered, the AG has some evidence that's been uncovered, and they're joining forces and working together in a way that's you know probably more streamlined and probably more efficient and economical to see what will happen as they get more and more evidence and get further along in the investigation. Is this a big deal or not? I think it's a big deal, but not for the reasons that a lot of people thought early on. You know, early on, there was all of this excitement. They must be really close. Tish James has a criminal case. My feeling is a little bit more nuanced. For one thing, 
when prosecutors bring their cases together, there are a lot of turf battles involved, right? And and this means that they think that whatever is going on is worth each of them giving up a little bit of the, the self-acclaim that might otherwise come from having an independent case. And I have actually a question for you about that. But the other thing that this implies to me is that they think their cases are serious. They don't want to inadvertently step on each other's toes. And they think that each of the offices has evidence that working together when they merge it all is better than how the evidence would play out separately. So this seems significant to me. My question for you, though, is the New York Attorney General came out with a statement. Cy Vance didn't. He declined to give one. Do you read anything into that? I'm not sure what to read into that other than it's the Attorney General's investigation that has changed. And, you know, that sort of leads me to why I think this is, you know, potentially significant. It's one thing if there seems to be smoke and and red flags with respect to a particular organization or person, and one opens up a criminal investigation because you think that's worthwhile to do. It's another thing in my mind to begin and for several months conduct a civil investigation and then transform it into a criminal investigation and make an announcement about that. That suggests a changed circumstance. It's quite a promise. That suggests, A, that people found evidence that shows something about the state of mind of people that means that the bad things that they're looking at were not an accident, were not recklessness, were not just mere negligence, but something intentional that potentially violated a criminal statute. And that took months to happen. And then second, you feel confident enough about it, as you just sort of alluded to a second ago, that you make a public statement of it. Now, it happens to be the case, for good or ill, that the AG's office makes more public statements than the DA's office. And we can talk about some of the statements that she made into the lead up to the election when she became the attorney general. But I don't know that I see, I see so much in that, but, I, I, but it does seem significant to me, although not earth shattering, that you know they were looking at something, somebody has found some evidence of criminal intent and that they have formally entered into a cross-designation with the DA's office. That means that something is brewing. And it means that two separate offices, prosecutors looking at different evidence streams, both believe that there's a criminal case worth investigating, which I think is also significant here. So what's the, what are the charges going to be? Don't you get asked that every day? I do. And, you know, my crystal ball is um, so shot at this point. But it seems like the core of these allegations has always involved financial misdealing by Trump organization that centers around how they paid their taxes, and how they got loans. Yeah, the taxes is always what gets you, right? Absolutely. And and it would be such a fitting sort of an end note here. Do you think the Trump organization has a defense because his taxes are under audit going, going, <laughs> going on year 81? Sure, absolutely. It sounds like a good defense to me. Uh, no. Then, then the other information, and we can go back and talk about the AG in a moment, is that the CFO, the chief financial officer, of the Trump Organization, Alan Weisselberg, looks like he's um, being pursued for things that he might have done for the purpose of, we've seen this reel before, to pressure him to cooperate. I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to understand that the cooperation with authorities of sort of the money guy, the CFO of any organization, is super significant because to the extent there were financial shenanigans, which seems to be the focus of you know, multiple investigations, that's the person who would know about it. And there's also reporting that the daughter-in-law, the former daughter-in-law of Alan Wieselberg, is cooperating 
maybe knows things, maybe has a bone to pick, I'm not sure. But the more and more examples you have of people who are prepared to talk to the authorities about the Trump organization, Donald Trump and the people around him, his children, you know, maybe his son-in-law, the more trouble for Trump. That's just obvious. I think that's right. You know, there's a, a moment in every case, sometimes a dramatic moment, where an agent looks at a person that they're speaking with and they tell them, you can either be a defendant or you can be a witness. And Alan Weisselberg has really resisted becoming a witness. I'm not sure what to make of the fact that during uh, some of the, the Mueller investigation and the federal cases in the Southern District, Weisselberg was at one point reportedly given limited immunity to testify or to speak with investigators. And then he went straight back to work at the Trump Organization, which has always struck me as being a little bit odd and, and out of place. Right. You can't become a turncoat and then go back. So maybe he wasn't a turncoat. Well, that that seems pretty clear, but it seems like Cy Vance is amping up the, the pressure on him. And that's probably part of what the New York Attorney General brings to the table here. His personal taxes, this notion now that not only did he pay some of his grandkids' tuition, which is fine, but apparently his daughter-in-law, former daughter-in-law, has now said that Trump signed some of those checks, which would be a little bit less than kosher. Can we talk about this other silly thing that people are saying? People are getting a little bit ahead of themselves. There is no charge yet against Donald Trump or anyone around him in connection with these investigations we've been discussing. I suspect there will be, but you don't know. There may never be charges. Or it could be just the corporation, right? It could be not Trump personally. Yeah. Or or someone around Trump. You right. know, one of his sons was deposed. It could be it could be a Trump kid. We we just don't know. And you know, even though we make, you know, somewhat informed judgments, you know, sometimes the prosecutors themselves don't know. I, I often tell people the story that, you know, there have been times when we have been investigating significant people and it's publicly known just because it's hard to keep under wraps. So there's an investigation. And at various points, if you asked me, will there ultimately be a charge against Sheldon Silver, who was then the speaker of the New York State Assembly? I would have told you, I don't know. Because the team was still assessing the evidence and testing it, sometimes talking to defense counsel to see what their defenses were. So it's not always clear that the prosecutors and investigators themselves know. And by the way, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. You shouldn't prejudge the case. You shouldn't decide upon the opening of a case, the opening of an investigation, or even when you're so somewhat far along, that 100% you're going to bring charges because that would be to not be proceeding with an open mind. And you can't get into this idea, I write about this in my book, this idea that you know, no matter what, if we expended all this time and energy and resources, well, we better have something to show for it. Sometimes you don't have anything to show for it except that you, you know, performed your duties in conformity with what justice required. And sometimes justice requires wa walking away. And I don't know where they are. We just speculate about these things. But in any event, people are getting ahead of themselves and they're wondering, well, what if Trump gets charged and what if he's ensconced between the sheets in Mar-a-Lago uh, and that the governor of the state, Republican Ron DeSantis, can figure out a way to protect Trump from being brought to New York to face justice. That's a ludicrous worry, correct? Yeah, absolutely. For one thing, I think isn't Trump already at Bedminster in New Jersey? But even if he was still in Florida, this notion that 
that one state can keep another state from extraditing is just wrong. It's wrong constitutionally. It's wrong on the law. It's a routine practice to take a defendant from one state to another. Does the Constitution have something to say about this? It actually does have something to say about this. What, what article would that be in, Joyce? Oh, pre darn it. <laughs> I'll tell you. It's Article 4, Section 2. Thank you. It is Article 4, Section 2 of the Constitution. And look, there's just no room for doubt here. Can we read it? Can we read it? Can we, can we yeah. do a little constitutional reading? It's the extradition clause, which seems relevant here. Quote, a person charged in any state with treason, felony, or other crime who shall flee from justice and be found in another state shall on demand of the executive authority of the state from which he fled be delivered up to be removed to the state having jurisdiction of the crime, end quote. Many, many, many issues that are you know pertinent to criminal procedure are not of constitutional dimension. This is. And and the word shall makes it absolutely clear that if Trump is in a state where someone wants to protect him, if he's indicted down the road by New York, too bad. He's going back to New York to face the charges. Does it matter as a, as a legal issue that he could argue he didn't flee? I mean, the constitutional provision says flee. He would just say, I'm just in this other state. I'm not fleeing. I don't think that matters. No, I don't think that that matters at all. Really, the only issue that you can challenge under this interstate compact on detainers would be identity. If he were to make a credible argument that he was not the Donald J. Trump who was named in a putative indictment from the from somebody in New York. Other than that, he, he gets transferred back. And, you know, apart from the Constitution, there's a Florida criminal procedure provision. That says, quote, it is the duty of the governor of this state to have arrested and delivered up to the executive authority of any other state of the United States, any person charged in that state with treason, felony, or other crime who has fled from justice and is found in this state. So it's a parallel provision. It is. And and there's been speculation that DeSantis could somehow delay and hold an investigation. And, and maybe he could try that. But folks would be in court fairly quickly. And the outcome is is just really not up in the air. There's this other issue, which we shouldn't skirt around, you know, a criticism of the Attorney General of New York and something that Donald Trump has said in his own defense is that, you know, Tish James prejudged Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. And for a limited time, use the code JOYCE for 50% off the annual membership price. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work.